from Baltimore, Maryland. This is The Stoop Sessions, a One Hope podcast. Join us for conversations about ministry on The Stoop. Learn more about our work at www.onehope.gives. All right, welcome back to The Stoop Sessions. This is our second episode of our summer series where we are focusing on having conversations with friends sitting on The Stoop. And I've got with me on The Stoop today a buddy of mine who is virtually on The Stoop. What's up, TC? Hey, what's going on, Joe? How you doing, man? I'm good, man. This is TC Taylor, everybody. What does TC stand for? Man, if I told you, man, it'd be bad. It's a a secret? Nah, it actually stands for Toby Charles, man. Toby Charles. Toby Charles Taylor. Why do you go by TC? Just what they called you. Sounds better. (laughs) I picked it up. (laughs) Some years ago, I moved to a new city, and that's you know you you know when you move to like a new place, you gotta redo yourself a little bit or change some things up, and so that's when I did that. Man, that's been 10, 11 years ago, probably. So, so you gave yourself the name TC. Yeah. All right. When you moved to Louisville. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Back in two thousand and nine. See, so all I- all the great preachers have two letters. <laughs> R C Spro. There you go. <laughs> H.B. Yeah. Charles. There you go. T.C. Taylor. Well, I don't know about the great preachers needing involved in that, but yeah, I do have two initials. So. Normally, T.C., I've got uh, two other hosts on the stoop with me. It's Eric and Stephanie. And uh, we, when Eric preaches, when he's going in, he's no longer Eric Hill. We call him E.J. Hill. E.J. Hill. He go. just beat that was E.J. That wasn't Eric. That was E.J. Hill. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, welcome well, to the welcome to the stoop. Like, yeah, almost like EV Hill. Huh? Exa- no, that's exactly right. That's yeah. uh, that's exactly yeah. it. You got it. Yeah. You got it. Hey, glad to be on there with you, man. So yeah. So let's uh, first talk a little bit about who you are, where you grew up, how you how you became a Christian. Yeah, man. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, did not did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my grandmother on my uh, dad's side uh, was a Christian, but my mother. I was actually Jewish. And so when I was a kid, we'd go to the synagogue a little bit. Um, and then, um, like I said, my grandma on my dad's side would tell me, you know, stories about the Bible and things of that nature. But I, I wasn't converted, man. So um, when I was in high school, man, I started attending church with a friend. Uh, there were some young ladies there that were interested in, so I started going to church with him. And, uh, man, when I was like 18 years old, I walked in the aisle and got baptized. And, and the pastor of the church, man, did a Really good job explaining the gospel, but I don't really believe I was converted then. Uh, as I understood it later, my life really didn't change. There wasn't really that transformation. And so, man, sometime, man, uh, to th- the end of 2004, beginning of, beginning months of 2005, man, I the Lord the Lord gripped a hold of my heart, man. I believe that's what when really He saved me, man. And so, so yeah, 2004, so 2005. Like a, and yeah, so like I don't really have like a day. It, it was more like probably 2005. I don't have a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's what's up. What uh, what church was that? Where were you at? Man, I was in my hometown of Terre Haute, Indiana. Terre Haute. Uh, yeah, yeah, at the, uh, at the uh, St. Paul Missionary Baptist Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. So, you say yeah. St. Paul Missionary Baptist, Missionary Baptist Church. Baptist Church. Missionary Baptist Church. Yep. Bro, yep. so we um, just had uh, Joseph Dix on yeah. the stoop. And uh, Joseph had a little missionary Baptist church background as well. Yeah. And I asked him this question. Let's see what you answer. We'll see what your answer is, is what are, what are the missionary Baptists? 
What is it? Yeah. What's Missionary Baptist? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I knew they were connected with the, uh, we were connected with the, I believe it was the National Baptist uh, Convention. Oh, okay. That's, so they were National Baptists, but their name Baptist. was Missional, Missionary Baptist. Yeah, that's a lot of, a, a good number of your African-American uh, Baptist churches had kind of Missionary Baptist Church. Maybe it started from a perspective of being missionary focused. Right. Uh, I've also seen places where they have missionary Baptist churches that are like all white churches that are called missionary Baptist churches too. Right. Exactly. So gotta, I've seen that. You got to get confused. So you're mm -hmm. like, you know, someone walks in, you don't know. Right. Either side, you'd be pretty confused. But yeah, but St. Paul Missionary Baptist Church, man, I was uh, licensed to preach there. I was mm -hmm. ordained there as well into the ministry at, at that church. So that was the church I attended uh, when I became a Christian. Uh, he said I was licensed to preach there and I was ordained in the ministry there as well. So Praise God, man. So, yeah. so when you got saved, uh, how old were you? Man, like around 20, 22, 22. So up until that point, did you think that you were a Christian or would you have said, no, I'm Jewish or I'm no. not, not a Christian? Yeah, so like I said, when I turned 18, when I was in high school, uh -huh. I turned 18, I kind of walked an aisle, got baptized. So I would have said, yeah, yeah. I'm a Christian, right? So like I wasn't, I wasn't Jewish, you know? So I remember after I got baptized, I felt comfortable wearing like a cross around my neck or something like that. Mm. So yeah, I would have I said, yeah, I would have said like most people that you, most nominal people in, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah. Like, uh, so yeah. So your, your dad is black? Yes. And your mom is Jewish? Yeah, she's, she's white and she's Jewish, yes. White Jewish. Yeah. Growing up, would you have culturally been Jewish? No. Did you guys kind of have the cultural Jewish vibe in the house? Not at all. Not at all, bro. So, like, what's interesting about my story is, you know, you, you talk to people who have, you know, a, a, a maybe a black parent and a white parent, and, and, and sometimes those people you talk to, they grew up in, in an all-white context. Mm-hmm. So they, they might have been around their, their mom's side or their dad's side if, if he was white or whatever, and, and that was the family they were around. Well, for me, it was the total opposite. So my mom was from three hours or two and a half hours away from where we lived. So I lived around my dad's family. So growing up contextually, like I always just knew I was black. Okay. You know, I, so you I, you I, understand? I identified with being black. So yeah. Yeah, I got you. I got you. And then uh, the church that you ended up getting ordained at was a National Baptist Church. Yeah, which is. Yep. Very historic black denomination. Yeah, absolutely. Baptist denomination. Mm -hmm. Yep. So how? So when I met you, um, you were Southern Baptist. Yeah. How did that so, happen? Yeah. So that's an interesting, that's interesting dynamic. I remember being uh, in South Jersey from Indiana, uh, and I'm living back in Indiana now in Indianapolis. I'm sure we'll get to that, but. Um, when I was when I when I was in church, became a Christian, preaching and all that, there was a Southern Baptist church in our hometown, and I didn't know anything about Southern Baptist. I remember I asked my pastor one time, like, "What's Southern Baptist?" And he had a friend he knew that was connected to that church. And I remember him saying something like, "They're really involved in missions." So that was something that he that he said. But but I ended up going to seminary. So so I graduated from college. I spent two so I spent two years as an associate minister in this church while I'm in college. Mm -hmm. I stayed two more years after that, and then we moved to Louisville, Kentucky, for me to attend uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And so that kind of introduced me to Southern Baptist life on, on that kind of level. There was Southern Baptist College Ministry at Indiana State where I went to school at in Terre Haute. So I knew that guy, but, but my real exposure to Southern Baptist life was when I moved to Louisville uh, to go to Southern Seminary. Yeah. So that's, that's when I got connected with SBC stuff. So, yeah. 
So I met you going back, man, 2012, 2013, something like that. Something yeah. like that. And at the time, you were thinking about planting a church on the west end of Louisville, Kentucky, which yeah. ended up happening. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. So I think actually when we met, I was in the process of planting that church. So basically, um, what happened was, man, um, you know, I go to seminary, and uh, man, I just I, I'm, I'm attending a church. I start going to a church and seminary for a little bit and seeing like how there's all these younger adults that are in church. It's not really about dress and all these things, which I didn't grow up in church, but, then, but my church experience would have been about that, right? Like more suit tie traditional, which is not bad, which, which is not bad at all, but that would have been my experience. But I've seen all these people that aren't doing it. I'm like, man, I'm going to do something like this, but engage people like myself. You know what I mean? Engage black people, man, um, urban people, um, you know, with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so, Man, and at that time, there, you know, you had Acts 29, and it was cool, but there weren't like black dudes, there weren't a lot of black dudes that were doing it, you know, so right. I kind of heard about what Eric Mason was doing, but then I, I got connected, I, I heard about what a guy named Dehati Lewis was doing um, uh, in, in Atlanta. They had just planted, uh, th- their church wasn't very old at all, and so a small group of us went to Atlanta to check their church out, connected with him there. I ended up doing a uh, 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 Oh, God, assessment. They're like, hey, we think you're a planter, but you need to spend some time in a church before mm-hmm. you go out. So I spent some time in a local church in Louisville, in Louisville and at the same time, um, a, a local church called Antioch Church, which was a church plant as well. Right. Uh, and at the same time, I did a, I did a ten I did a I did a church planting residency with Dahadi. It was like me and like nine other guys from around the country. And we once a month we would we would meet up in a city, he'd coach us, train us, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and then I'm, I'm and then man, we ended up uh, launching a church uh, in Louisville. Uh, the church launched, so we were trying to do it for a while, but we had actually officially launched. It would have been it would have been January of 2014. January of 2014. Yeah, that the church yeah, officially. You know how that is, man. You yeah. gotta have your Bible studies. You might do a little soft launch time, but the official like. Launch well, what they would call or what we called the, the the church anniversary. Right, right, right. January twenty fourth, January twenty fourth. So I remember after I met you, maybe a year went by or so. Um, we had uh, Freddie Gray was a young man that was killed in the hands of police custody uh, in our city. Um, it's what uh, led to what we call the Baltimore uprising uh, here, um, and I was out doing some. Um, relief work after that because all of the stores were closed and uh doing some relief work taking a bunch of food to folks older folks that didn't have any food and i got a call from this dude tc taylor and i and and he just wanted to check in on me and see how things were going you had just written that article i saw that article that you had written um i can't remember who that was through that was tgc or i think it was the front porch on the front porch, yeah, well, I couldn't remember what group it was, but I remember seeing that article, and uh, yeah, man, that's what kind of re- re- rekindled our relationship, man. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 man. I th- I feel like we've been tight since then. Uh, yeah, you, absolutely. You've been a good friend. So for our listeners, uh, TC is one of one of my close friends in ministry, and I man, over the years, just coming to Louisville and crashing at your place a couple times a year. Um, yeah. Getting to know your wife, your family. It's been yeah, sweet. I've stayed at your house too, man. I've stayed at your house in Baltimore and been yeah. there to see you a few times. And so, yeah. 
as a matter of fact, we just roomed together. We were at an event. Yeah. And I was just telling somebody else, bro, I was like, rooming with TC is like rooming with a sixth grade girl. The lights go out and he keeps on talking. (laughs) (laughs) It's like 2 a.m. It's 2 a.m. and the lights are out. And you got one more question. And I'm like, I got, I'm having lights out uh, conversation with a, with a grown man right now. Well, we do it around the kind of wisdom. Oh, is that what it is? I got, I got to squeeze it so Is that what it is? I can't lose any of it. I got you. I got you. But no, I've, I've always, whenever uh, I used to come to Louisville, I think I'm honestly most comfortable in the kinds of uh, parts of town where you were at, like on the West End. I just uh, gravitate toward um, toward the community in that sense. And uh, so it was good to get to know you there and see your ministry, see it form over a couple of years. Now, yeah. just real quick, where are you at now? Of course, you're no longer in Louisville. Yeah, so man, in 2018, my family we transitioned to Indianapolis to plant another church. Mm-hmm. I'm originally from Terre Haute, Indiana, 70 miles west of Indianapolis. So the opportunity came for us to come back home, uh, to, to come back to Indiana, uh, to, to plant another church. Um, and so, so yeah, man, so we, we, uh, we did that. But, but when we did it, we didn't, it wasn't like we just kind of like left our church plant that we planted just to like kind of do nothing. Like now what, it was, it was in a healthy place in a lot of ways. So we had membership. We had, you know, a, a, a clear understanding of membership. We had elders, you know, we had these kind of things happening within the church, toward the, in the church. And I had another uh, pastor there with me who was shepherding with me to where it was like, it wasn't like, okay, I'm leaving. And so everybody's like, what's going to happen? Right. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, there were people that had some concerns, obviously, when the founding pastor, lead pastor transitions. It's not just like, Oh, wow. Glad he's gone. If that's the case, then you must have did a pretty bad job. Right. But but we had a good you know, we had elders, like I said, man, we had membership and these, and these kind of dynamics man, that were in place. And so the church uh, continued to to go. And as a matter of fact, good. praise God. Calling, they end up calling one of our other elders who was part time staff with me at the church mm-hmm. to, to, to take my role. And he's serving in that role to this day. That's so, awesome, man. Yeah. And then we moved. So I said, we moved to Indianapolis. We planted a church out of a church here in Indianapolis, a church called College Park Church that we planted a church out of. Uh, and we launched in a um, in a community that's really interesting, man. Um, it's 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 like, you know, ethnically mixed. So it's like and I'm not going to get these numbers fully right. But it's like 40 something percent black, 30 something percent white, 15 percent uh, Latino. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, like three percent Asian, wow. and then socioeconomically, yeah, it goes from people who are, you know, uh, the, the school corporation in my area. I think I saw it as like like high high numbers, man, like over seventy percent, it's probably a lot higher than that. That's free and reduced lunch, but you also have six figure incomes in the same community. So so I'm, it is not like a gentrified city area like you see that gentrified city areas right where you see like you see like people that are struggling and then you see like tech people that are doing really well like no this is like a kind of almost like um it's in the city still but it, but it's northwest so it's mm-hmm. out a little bit but it just has that mixture man of uh of uh you know ethnicity and socioeconomic which is which is really interesting dynamic so yeah and so we've been here now three years the church the new church that i pastor now is uh, just celebrated two years in April. So, okay. Yeah. 
That's what's up. And so you're in a, this diverse area. Moving there, was it your goal to kind of reach that whole area? Like, was it your goal to see this multi-ethnic, multicultural church spring up in that yeah. community? Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think the reality is, I think that that conversation always sounds good, right? Yeah. So people say, well, the goal is that. But but I had some things that I recognized because my first church was was very diverse. Mm-hmm. And I had some things that I recognized from my first church experience that led us in a way that we, we might have had some diversity, but there wasn't really dignity in that diversity. Okay, uh, you're going to have to unpack that. Yeah, yeah, I, I can do that for you. Uh, but but so I, so I was what I thought I was like man okay I knew that this church was going to be diverse mm-hmm. the area diverse we were planted by a, a predominantly uh, large white church uh, but obviously we you know we had African some African members that came with us others yeah. that weren't a part of that church that have joined us but so I knew it was going to be diverse but the, the point for me was more how do you do it right right so so for me um, you know. So for me, when I think about diversity, I want to think about it from the, what we, we have a value, core value in our church that we call dignified diversity. And what we mean by that is we want to be a place where everybody has value and dignity because everybody's made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. But also in light of that, because of our, our world, our country, our culture here in America particularly, it's been black people and brown people whose dignity hasn't always been seen as valuable. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we, we want to have an emphasis on thinking about that mm. in a way that's just not uh, a, a broad brush or just we're all the same. You know what I mean? Like we want to really think through that. Right. I, we think that in thinking through that, then we can really have a diversity that's really valuable because everybody's dignified. So many times whenever you have diverse churches, the group that's the least dignified are black and brown people. I mean, now I can't, I don't want to, I can't give, we, I don't think any of us should give up on the dream of diversity because I think that's where heaven's going to be like. Now, mm-hmm. as I say Amen. that, as I say that, that doesn't mean that every church is going to be diverse. Right, like if you're right. a community that's 95% white, you're probably not going to be a diverse church. Right. If you're in a community that's 95% black, you're probably not going to be a diverse church. Yeah. But the question is, is your church open to anybody that comes through the door that you're going to love them and care for them because they're made in the image of God and have dignity and value? That's right. That's good, man. I, I uh, just this last Sunday, uh, working through this with our church, uh, coming from X. And one of the things that I was talking about was this very fact that not every church has to be diverse. Right. Uh, locally, you know, it's just not going to be the case. Um, right. uh, I've got some friends that pastor historic black churches and praise God for them and and right. the work that they're doing. I've got a friend who's pastoring a Korean church, really healthy brother, healthy ministry. Um, I, I had a uh, not too long ago, a white pastor friend of mine who's got a white church and he's wanting to see more diversity. And he, he was sort of lamenting to me saying, man, everything I try, you know, like, we're, we're still white. Like I just can't seem to, and I was like, bro, it's okay to be a white church. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like the reality is, is not every church has to be diverse as if that's sort of, you know, right. but every church ought to, uh, must be not ought to be, but must be ethnically united, yeah, racially united in that we, we don't, uh, look past anybody. Uh, we don't overlook yeah. or, or neglect anybody. 
um, because of their skin color, because of their culture, where they come from, or the people group that they, that, that they that they come from. And I think what you're saying here with dignified diversity is, is as part of that that um, that seeing, if you would, is to recognize that um, that certain people groups, black and brown in particular, in our, in our country, have been. Um, neglected, I would say, what, what are we saying? Like kind of broadly speaking, historically, historically speaking, um, and, uh, and, and recognizing the importance of dignifying those who have been, um, less than dignified in our culture. I don't know how else to say that. I'd say dignifying what is seen as minority in our culture because majority is just that's the way that everything's normally going to just go naturally right if something's not pushing against that yeah it's going to go that way in whatever in whatever it is yeah one one other thing i was going to say a minute ago uh is that i I think that your church your church should look like the community that your church is in though right i mean that's the thing are you reaching your community with the gospel yeah yeah, and, and, that, and that, that should be the question that, that people should ask. You yeah. know, like I look at my community, like the, the test of faithfulness. Uh, in one sense, I, I want to be careful. How I say this. Actually, I don't want to say the test of faithfulness. That's probably too strong of a word. But if you're thinking about diversity, if you look at the community around your church, mm-hmm. and, and that's what reflects the church you have, then, then that, that I think that that's that's a faithful representation. Yeah. You know, and, and, and if God gives you more diversity than that, praise God. Right. But the reality is, all you can do is really be faithful to what's around you. Right? Yeah, yep. that's good. You know, I think I would put it like this. Like, I don't think we are personally as a church, I don't think we are trying to be a multicultural church. I want to see it like, as, like this, that we're just trying to reach people with the gospel. And we are not allowing um, our, I, I would say me as a white man, I don't want to allow my um, dominant culture, if you would, to sidestep people in in, in my own ministry, as yeah. it, because as if they have to assimilate into my culture in order right. to enjoy table fellowship with me. Does that make sense? And right. so, yeah. as as we reach people, then we have to think about culture. We have to think about our context and where we're at, and then we have to ask these questions. and And I I would pose this mostly to folks that come from a majority culture background. Like, do we recognize that we have a culture, first of all, and secondly, do um, do others have to assimilate into our majority culture in order to enjoy table fellowship in this church? And I think that that's sometimes the the oversight in churches that just want to be multicultural is they say, hey, let's get like the multicultural band and let's bring in multicultural right. speakers. But at the end of the day, you still have to kind of assimilate into majority culture to be part of that church as it relates to what's expected, you know, church structure and all of this, all of this kind of stuff. And so it's that Absolutely. deeper level that I think we got to get to. Absolutely. I, 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 think, I think that's huge, man. I, I think that is a huge dynamic that's deep out there for sure. Yeah. So talk to me about the local church, man. You're still a pastor. Um, as it relates to uh, issues of uni- uh, racial unity, as it relates to justice sort of stuff, like why is the local church so important to you? The thing right now that, and I'm, I'm totally fully about justice and the gospel. I believe that like biblical justice and, and, and caring about the least of these Amen. and concerned about uh, uh, racial inequities and justice issues in our culture is, is hugely important. And it's a that as Christians, we should be involved in that work. Um, 
But I also think that what I what can be a problem is sometimes we want to we want to live like in the the national and we should I mean we want to lament when we see things because it affects the people that we pastor. Right. But the question is that how are we boots and, and I, I need to think about this. This is something that, that I need to think about more is how how are we on the on boots on the ground in our community as a local church looking to affect the change in, the, in these particular areas, right? Um, I can't pastor the whole world, right? I, I got to pastor the people that are amongst me. Shepherd the flock of God that's amongst mm-hmm. you, right? The mm-hmm. Bible talks about. And so how do I do that in a way that is, is discipling our people and shepherding them in a way to where they're, 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 we're wanting to see that kind of change and transformation in our community, uh, it, you know, that, that also opens doors for the gospel. Right. right? And, and therefore, the local church has got to be centered in that. Like yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't, you personally don't want to take these conversations too far outside of the local church, is what you're saying. Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is, what, what ideally would be is that our local church would be a church that is loving our city and our community so well that the city around us is saying, "Man, what's one fellowship doing right now?" How, are, you know, they, they want us involved in what's going on, right? Right. And it also means that we want to partner with other churches. Yeah. But what I'm saying is my calling in life is not to lead the local church to do that. My calling in life is to be grounded and pastored and shepherding a church. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and, and I would say even if your calling in life is not to be a pastor, but to be involved in these, you need to be connected to a church. Mm. A yeah. local church where you're a member, where you're known, where you're loved, right. and, and where you're being held accountable for your walk with Jesus, even as you're looking to try to bring change in your city and community. Right. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I think that that's uh, my concern with so many of the talking heads in the world that we live in, uh, particularly, of course, I'm thinking of Christians, people that represent themselves as Christian. Yeah. And uh, and you, you wonder, like, are, are they grounded in a local church? Yeah. You know, and so many of these conversations, they've they've got to be Twitter is just not the place for a lot of these conversations. I'm not saying that it can't be used. You know, I don't use Twitter a ton. I'll occasionally put something on there, but that's not that's not me. But if if all of these conversations happen on Twitter and they're not happening in the local church, something's amiss. Right. Yeah, because that's where transformation is going to happen at that level. Right. So 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 I can I can have these broad conversations on social media, yeah. uh, you know, all these kind of dynamics. But the reality is I'm really not going to be able to work with those people in a way to actually bring change in yeah. a community. Right. So I'd rather take my time and my energy and have those conversations in the context of my local church first. Yeah. And also with local pastors second <laughs> to think about how we engage in our community. And then we can think about, okay, how do we work with other cities and people that are doing you know what i mean for that kind of dynamic that's good man change in the community but also i think you would agree with this even just change in our own hearts you know change change among us right that's where it's got to start though right right so having those conversations in the context of community in a local church where we're loving each other right where we're giving each other where we need to be rebuked right pushing each other we're we're we're, we're, we're asking for forgiveness when we sin against one another. Yeah. And we're also uh, extending that forgiveness when it's asked for. Right. That's all doing stuff that's like in the do things in our, in, in our hearts that can actually bind a group of people together. Right. Actually can be in unity 
thinking about how, how to affect change through that body. Right. If the if if in the local church we can't have these conversations, like where can we have these conversations? You know, like in, the local church is sort of the place where we can question and and push back and clarify and make mistakes and offend each other and confront one another when offended. You know what I'm saying? And be like, yeah. man, I, that's not what I meant. Let me try to clarify, man. I didn't clarify that. Well, let me try to clarify it again. You know what I'm saying? And like give each other grace well, and space. And another thing is if I'm doing all of this outside of the church, yeah. in my own little me as my own individual self, I can easily be deceived. Wow. And I'm a sinner, but saved by grace, right. the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sure. But at the same time, I can easily be deceived. And so I need a church with other Christians that can speak into my life and say, TC, yeah, I'm with you, but maybe you're going a little far here, or maybe you need to rethink about this. I think the, being in a church should just continue to keep us grounded. Yeah. In, in the gospel and in the word of God to make sure that what we're that we're always living in that reality of Whatever we're doing, what we're thinking is being driven by scripture, uh, ultimately, right? And so, so and the scriptures are very clear on justice. So the scriptures are not absent of the conversation, mm -hmm. right? right? It's clear in the scriptures, but it, but but it's as we stay in the scriptures, the scriptures keep us grounded in how to actually do that work in a way that lines up with God's character uh, and, and, and God's uh, God's what God has to say about it. You know? Yeah, man. So let's go back to New Breed when you, yeah. were, when you were in Louisville. Uh, so uh, for the listener who might be thinking of starting a church in a tough area, area with not much of a core team, not much money, what are you going to tell them? Yeah, man, I'm going to say, the first thing I'm going to say is, you know, obviously you be led by the Lord, right, first and foremost. Secondly, man, your wife needs to be on board. Like, and I would say that I don't care if you're planting in the hood or you're planting in the in the richest suburb in, in, in your in your in your metroplex. Yeah. And some people, what they do, man, is they they'll try to like overly spiritualize them. Like their wife doesn't want to do it, so it's like, well, you just don't want to be spiritual. It's like, nah, man. Like maybe you're just not leading well. Right. And your wife actually is willing to follow, and you need to just take some time to step back and deal with your leadership, or is the Lord calling you to this, right? Because I think that if my wife's not in agreement, I don't know how it works, man. I don't know how many, I don't know about you, brother. I mean, you play in the church. I don't know how many dinners, how many nights my home was open, was the church. Your home is the church. Oh, yeah. It's like where everything happens. Dinners, yep. new person comes to your church yep. on a Sunday. Hey, can you have dinner in my house? This is gonna be like if your wife is not on board with that. I just don't know how it's gonna work. Man, you're gonna wreck your family, your marriage, and everything. And, and that's not Jesus' plan for you. So I would say that. So I would say, you know, that I'd say your wife's on board. I, I would say, man, that you, you need to be. I would say churches plant churches. Mm -hmm. And so like, you're not in a local church that's also affirming that reality in your life. Yeah. You're just going to some people over here. And I, I'm not against networks and organizations. I think those things have a place, uh, but, but they can't be the thing that ultimately affirms you. Like if your local church isn't thinking, okay, this guy has this. I, I see this character, this gifting. His life is lining up with these kind of things. Then that, I think that's where it needs to start, right? Yeah. Uh, I do think, I, you know, so I think that, you know, your, your local church, um, yeah, I would say too, man, um, if you're, I guess I would say too, like if you're not already, another thing, man, and, and this, I, I, this can be a conviction for my own life when I mm -hmm. started my kids, but like, if you're not already doing that stuff, like in your life, like with the people, you're not already building up the local church you're in, right? 
than for you to think you're just going to go do it somewhere else. And that was a mistake. I think I could have done a better job of that personally. It's been more of a person that was building up my own local church. Yeah. And then that showed, you know, as I went out to start another church, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I think that's good, man. I, I feel like it's important for a guy uh, or any any team member, male or female, who wants to be part of a church plant, and they're yeah. in somewhat of a mother church uh, preparing to plant to really love that church well, to be part of that ministry right. and not be so focused on the future that you can't even focus right. on where you're at right now and love these people. You want to be the kind of member that you would want to have in your church. Exactly. That's, That's good. That's right. a good word. Um, yeah. You know, there's one thing I think I could have been, been better at that. Yeah. Um, I would say to that person, too, man, get trained. Yeah. You know, get trained, though, too, man. And get trained, too. Like, get trained in, like, I mean, I think it's important, like, with seminaries, sort of learn how to study the Bible and, and, and how to preach. Those are very important things. Like you have to preach the Word of God. Uh, but but I think also just figuring out, like learning about organizational structure and like, how do you lead people? Like how do you help uh, mm. the, the organization kind of form? Uh, particularly if you're a guy that uh, because I just, yeah I just think if you can't put some systems and structures in place for uh, discipling people bringing people into the family, yeah. how, you know, all that stuff is important, man. So you really that, and then, and another thing I think that's missed sometimes, brother, so I'd say organizational structure. And, and I don't want to cut you off, but on the organizational piece, before you move on, just from knowing you, you kind of got a lot of that in your second church plant, Absolutely. going, going to a much that. larger church and learning a lot of yeah. organizational stuff. So you, I know you feel like the second go around you're tighter and stronger with with these structures and organizational yeah, that's skills. Yeah, better than I was, but man, still, still, room, still room to grow. But the other thing I would say is, man, make sure that you have a good understanding of ecclesiology. Yeah. So, so, so I think it's not just okay. How do we have structures and systems, and those are very important things, and you need to have those. But also, what do you believe about the church? Like, what is membership? Like, how how do we, you know, do we have elders? You know, how does the church make decisions? I just think those things are really important. You know, those are the kind of things that people, I think, sometimes look over until there's a problem. Mm, you know? Right. And it's like, well, how do we make decisions here in some of those different dynamics? And so, but, but hopefully, if you're being planted from a church, hopefully you're having a conviction about that. Yeah. And hopefully you're being planted from a church that has a conviction about that. I mean, they've got documents and stuff that can be used in, in, in as you're going about doing it. So let's turn the corner a little bit. Um, one thing I've, one thing that I know about you is that you have OCD, um, that you've been like, like, I think a lot of times people joke about having OCD, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, oh man, did I shut the door? Did I lock the door? I got, I got OCD, you know, but you like legit have OCD. You have obsessive compulsive disorder. It's something I've battled with. Oh man. Since I was probably 16 years old, I'm 38 yeah. now. So and it's been it's been pretty disabilitating. Is that a word? Disabilitating in your life at times. There've been seasons in my life where it's been um, it's been it's been it's been tough. And there was a book though, man. If anybody out there that has this uh, disorder has OCD, it was a book written by a pastor. And it was called something like "On the Edge of Insanity." You can find it out sure on yeah. Amazon. That was a real helpful book to just read from a pastor who also battled with that. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, man. Um, so there's been times in my life where it's been where that where that where that that has been more of a challenge than, than other times. But you know, God His graces has kept me and uh, mm-hmm. given me the you know the you know just really really helped me and saw me through it. You know, and so I thank God for that His grace and 
and how he's kept me over the years and, 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 those, and those dynamics for sure. I just told our congregation, I was preaching on fear and anxiety a couple weeks ago, and I, I, I told our congregation that, you know, because I think there's a place even in the life of pastoral ministry where you share struggles with your people. Now, now I wouldn't say that you use the pulpit as a therapy session, right? <laughs> right, you, right. You know, there's, you know, there's levels to your vulnerability, but I think for you to have no vulnerability in one sense can kind of come off like thought. You need to be like me instead of me saying like, Hey, we need to be like Christ. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's good, uh, man. So uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. uh, What is it? And uh, how, how how did you experience it? You know, I I ran up on it. but, But what I can basically explain about it is from, from me, it's a thing where, like, obviously, at some level, there's a chemical imbalance to where my mind can obsess about certain things. Like, an example might be, that yeah, it could be, did I lock the door? Right. And so what you do is you'll think, well, let me go check. But going and checking doesn't really help because it just makes you, it just it just causes you to do that more. Right. right so right. it's different for different people. Like, some people, it is a thing of, like, about cleanliness and you know everything's got to be neat and your clothes can only be this you know far right. for me that's not that it's more my mind just obsessing over things and think did i really think that did i really say that did i really you know that kind of dynamic so you right yourself it could almost uh, be even even guilt driven and uh shame driven um could be. or safety yeah. in in pastoring somebody then with ocd like, is this a spiritual problem? Is this just a mental problem? Like, like, how do you pastor somebody through something like this? So I, my view of it is, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I'm definitely a guy that believes in the sufficiency of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. But in believing in the sufficiency of the scriptures, the scriptures also help me see that, uh, that, that we do live in a fallen world. And living in a fallen world means that because of the fall, things are not the way that God, that they were originally uh, created to be, right? And so that's so we, we tell people that all the time about things, right? So if somebody gets cancer, you know, we say that cancer is a result of the fall, right? Right, right. Uh, somebody, uh, a, a young child dies tragically, you know, we say that that's a result of the fall. Well, if those things are a result of the fall, can't chemical imbalances in our, in our brains, okay. these kind of things be a part of the fall as well. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, so, um, so I think that I, I kind of look at it from that perspective. Then I also look, but then I also think about the dynamic of common grace. The Bible also talks about common grace. And so I think in certain situations, uh, that med- medication is, is helpful and, and a good thing. But, but you have to have the right understanding of medication because if you think that by taking it, and I gotta myself gotta have the right understanding, and I could do, I need to be better at this in my own self, you know. But the dynamic is, if you take medication, the goal of it is that it just balances you out. Mm. Or those chemical imbalances are not there so that my mind starts to think like your mind thinks. Okay. It doesn't have those chemical imbalances. But the reality is, even though you don't have chemical imbalances, you still can struggle with worry, fear, anxiety, and all those things. And so my ultimate trust can't be in the medication, but in God right. and, and his sustaining ability. So if, if you, you know, just... So it can't just be the medicine, and I, and I need to hear this myself, it can't just be the medicine, because all the medicine does in one sense is balances out the chemical imbalances. But, but even with the chemical imbalances balanced out, you still are a fallen person. You still can struggle with things. And so if that's where our, our hope ultimately is, then, then it's not going to be. And I do think that people can be over-medicated. Yeah. 
I, I do think that, but, but yeah. I'm not a person that thinks that that medication is wrong. I believe yeah. that, again, like other things, can be a part of common grace. Yeah. I think it can be used. I think it can be overused. Um, and, and I think that even as we as we affirm uh, the common grace of medicine, that we have to also still affirm fully the sufficiency of Scripture and the power of Scripture. Box. Yeah, man, I feel like the church, I feel like we still have a lot of work to do in this area of mental health. Man, absolutely, man. You know, people that, you know, it's like, um, you might hear people say things like, he's a little touched or, mm-hmm. you know, or man, he got a couple screws loose or it's almost kind of seen as like this thing. So people don't want to deal with it or share about it. Yeah. It's not, it is not an either or. It's not either you believe in the sufficiency of scripture or you believe that medicine? I think no. I think man, we we, we believe in the sufficiency of scripture as our, as our rule. But a part of the sufficiency of scripture means that man that there are there is a fall. There are there is common grace. Mm. So those things are not as long as those things are not contradicting the scriptures. Right. You know, it, it could be that somebody's got somebody in the church who does have like significant OCD, and oh, yeah. it's really affecting their ability to participate in church. And, you know, that can lead to all sorts of problems, but it's never actually even come up in conversation. They per- the person has yeah. never really been able to wrap their mind around it, but it's it's controlling their life. And there's a shame. There could be a shame to like, I'm the only one. Right. So, you know, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, def- yeah, I would say to people like, man, talk to somebody. I mean, talk, you know, and obviously I believe that, you know, I had a, I had a, I had a counselor man uh, for for a little season of my life that was a biblical guy, yeah. but he also was a guy that understood chemical imbalance and all that. But he but he was definitely a sufficient scripture guy. It was a blessing in my life, yeah. man. And so we we need more of that in the church. We need more people that are trained in the area of counseling, biblically biblical counseling, and under the understanding of biblical counseling is understanding the fall, common grace, mm. how all mm. these things. Bro, as we close here, man, with everything going on in the world and in society and even in the church right now, what what encourages you? Man, Jesus is building this church, man. I mean, I think I just got to remember that, man, because it is easy to get discouraged. Uh, Man, I'm encouraged uh, just personally. If you ask me personally, I'm encouraged right now just by, you know, man, uh, people are starting to come back to worship. You know, the vaccine is out now. Mm -hmm. And there's different opinions on the vaccine and, and those dynamics, but it, it, it's causing life to kind of open back up in some ways, I think for people, which is encouraging. Um, so yeah, man, I think we've been through a hard, man, we've been through a hard. It's been tough. Yep. And so just to have this opportunity to kind of feel like we're kind of coming out of that a little bit. Yeah. Encouraging. Uh, and uh, I just hope, I just hope too for Christians. Yeah. That I hope that, because there's two things, I mean, one thing is that this pandemic could do is, is put Christians, in a, I heard a guy say this, he said, there's four kinds of people that are, that, that are dealing with, with COVID, in the COVID conversation right now, right? The first group is like, COVID, I, I'm okay, whatever, let, let's get back. Right. Then, <laughs> the second group that's like nervous, or at least publicly they're nervous about it. Yeah. But the third group that's starting to use it as a crutch. Yeah. And then yeah. there's a fourth group, and I don't mean that in any kind of way. I no. mean, it is a real thing, and it's seriously. Sure. But but they're comfortable. They're comfortable though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the yeah, way yeah. things are. And then, and then the fourth group um, is, is a people that just got out of routine. Right, right. And so I think that what my hope is with COVID is that it causes people to see how important it is to be with other Christians in the church. Wow. Yeah, that's good. I hope. But but what I but I, what I fear 
He said there's going to be a group of people yeah. that fall into this category of like just out of it. And I'm hoping that like God would just stir us up in a way to recognize like, man, what happened over the last 16 months should push us to community, mm. not away from it. Amen. Good word, brother. Appreciate you. Yeah, yeah man. Good being with you, Joe, man. Good being with you. Thank you for your work, man. I talk with you. Know, I talk to people regularly. Like, man, what you're doing is amazing work there, man, in the city. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. Praise Thanks. the Lord, man. Yeah. All right, bro. All right. Peace, man. Thanks for listening to the Stoop Sessions. Be sure to catch us next time. As One Hope exists to build healthy churches in the inner city, check us out and connect at www.onehope.gives. <laughs>